no two persons ever read the same book. Edmund Wilson. He's kind of crazy. She's a little insane. Keeping energy really messes with his brain. One is divorced. The other's husband is dead. That's why it's so messed up in the head. It's a silver linings playcast. Oh, yeah. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Silver Linings Playcast. I'm your host, Jamie Ward. This is the Silver Linings Playcast. It is, as far as I know, the only podcast that is solely dedicated to discussing Silver Linings Playbook, the movie, and the Silver Linings Playbook, the book. Uh, one of the things, this is our second episode we've had. Happy Fourth of July weekend to all of you that uh, are probably not listening to me now. But hey, we're back again, so let's get into it. Next week, hopefully, we're expecting to have a actual guest host. I had to give a couple weeks to get some people to actually rewatch the film to the point that they could discuss the the film topics with me. But this week, I actually want to discuss something that is not so much about the film aspect. Silver Linux Playbook, the movie, um, was a uh, 2012 movie. And it was based on a 2008 novel by Matthew Quick. And what I want to talk about today, we're all used to hearing the expression, the book was better than the film. I want to see if that is actually true. We're going to discuss some of the differences between the movie Silver Linings Playbook and the book that was actually called The Silver Linings Playbook. And discuss whether that made it better worse or the same uh sometimes i used to have a stand-up comedy bit where i was saying i hated it when people said that they liked books better than movie versions because to me i always thought those are different mediums right okay so maybe if you you adapt one to the other you it's not an original thought and so you're being one of those purists that say i can't enjoy something as much if it's being shown through a a lens or, or a different translation. But I think if you're a fan of something, you can learn to enjoy things as different products too. Part of the punchline, which was never a super funny joke. I could never get it to work quite right. But I always said the Lord of the Rings movies, you know, were based on a very popular series of books, the Lord of the Rings novels. And at the same time that the movies came out, Denny's actually ran a promotion where they had Lord of the Rings different food items. They had Lord of the Rings red velvet hush puppy pancakes. And I loved those. I loved them so much. They were delicious. Way better than I liked either the books or the movies. Not, I don't want to say I'm a... I, I don't have any problems with the Lord of the Rings things. I'm just I'm not a super reader, and I I'm not big into mythology books or or things like that. Anyway, but we are not here to talk about the Lord of the Rings. You can go find some Lord of the Rings podcast. I'm sure we're here to talk about Silver Linings Playbook, and so let's get into a little bit about the novel that the movie was based on. So, The Silver Linings Playbook, like I said, was a 2008 novel by Matthew Quick. It was his first novel. Matthew Quick himself was born in October 27th, 
1973 in Camden, New Jersey. He is an author that to date, uh, to 2020, he has published eight books. Four of them were young adult novels. They've been published in 30 different languages. One of them was the uh, an Academy Award-winning film. He's a, a New York Times best-selling author. He's a very good author. A Hollywood reporter uh, once put him on a list of the 25 most powerful authors. And in 2013, he was one of Time Magazine's 100 most influential people that year. So you could say he is a pretty good writer. He knows what he's doing, especially because Silver Linings Playbook, The Silver Linings Playbook was his first novel. And look, they made an Academy Award winning movie out of it, right? And all of his books have at least been optioned to possibly make films out of them at some point. So he's doing all right, right? So some of the interesting things about him that you'll find out uh, if you if you're not familiar with the movie Silver Linings Playbook that much or something I think it's it's interesting clearly he was writing about uh, things that are true about him too. So the story might not be literally the story of his life. It is a fictional book, but if you look at the characters uh Matthew Quick uh, was born in New Jersey and he graduated from Collingswood High School. Uh, he lived in that area. Uh, he lived in Massachusetts for a while. I, I believe he uh, moved to the Outer Banks of North Carolina most recently. But So he's definitely up from the exact same area where the characters in Silver Linings Playbook and, and the books are set. So I want to talk first off about some of the differences between the movie version and the film version. And I, you know, I, I think people always like to say the book was better than the movie Books and movies are different products, right? One of the really interesting things about the book is that it's actually a to it's written in the first person. The whole book takes place like the character Pat is is talking like it's a long soliloquy. He's talking to himself and it's letter writing and he's just having memories. You're inside his head the whole time. Whereas the film is a third person, just traditional dramatic narrative that's told like any other movie. You're the viewer, the objective viewer, and you don't even know whether things are, are you know, different. Uh, now, I'm just going to go off the Wikipedia uh, definition of an adapted screenplay really quick so that we're all on board. Adapted screenplay, according to the Academy Awards Adapted Screenplay uh, category, is awarded each year to the writer of a screenplay adapted from another source, as opposed to the Oscar for Best Original Screenplay, for which no additional works are cited by the authors or forming the basis for their screenplay, either in part or as a whole. The most frequently adapted media are novels, but other adapted narrative formats include plays, musicals, and other theatrical works, short stories, nonfiction books, TV show shows, and even other films. For example, foreign language films, all sequels are automatically considered adaptations by the standard since the sequel must be based on the story set forth in the original film. I think that's a pretty useless definition because in the in the original definition part, it says an adapted screenplay is any screenplay that's been adapted from another source. You can't you can't just flip the words of what you are to be your definition. That's okay though. I think we all know what we're talking about. So uh, it's it's really interesting, right? I, I'm gonna I'm sorry that I'm gonna say it's really interesting, far too much. I want to talk about some of the differences 
between the book and the film because I am a huge fan of the film. And I'll say I went back and I I read the book later because I was such a fan of the film. But I'm not one of those people that uh, knew had read the book. It was like, oh, I can't wait. I can't believe this movie's coming out. In fact, in a future episode, I'll talk about why. I was not anticipating this movie, and it's actually a surprise I ever saw this movie, or you can listen in the last podcast, the story of how I almost never saw Silver Linings Playbook. But anyway, one of the first details, it's sort of amazing to to discuss the change, is the name of the main character. In the book, the, the protagonist's name is Pat Peoples, and in the film, Bradley Cooper, who plays, who plays the same Pat character, uh, is Patrizio Solitano. His, his dad um, uh, even calls him Patrizio a lot. I mean, that's part of the same name, but like they changed the last name, Peoples Solitano, which I think is really an interesting, interesting choice. Uh, and I think, like, I actually, I like the sound of Pat Solitano a lot better because it sounds sort of more real. I have known people who had the last name Peoples too. Uh, I've used it before in my writing. I think the alliteration is actually pretty funny it, it's sort of it, and I think maybe that's why they did it uh Pat Peoples is just a little bit funnier written but sounds a little less real used in a, in a film also there may be actual reasons for for some of these changes but I did not want to research in what they are because this podcast at this point right now is largely my analysis and feelings about the film and the book too. If there is an actual reason for any of these things to have been changed that any of y'all know about, you can email me those or contact us on our Facebook page and I will definitely correct that information and probably talk about it in a future episode too. You can email us at silverliningsplaycast, P-L-A-Y-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. And I'm also on all the social media, uh, Instagram and Facebook, Playcast. Uh, dot com <clears throat> or stuff whenever that's appropriate okay so so one of the next changes too is in the the book pat lives in new jersey right seems kind of self-referential Matt quick was born in in new jersey and raised in new jersey in the film pat and his pat lives in in pennsylvania now there's a couple reasons why this is important. One, and <clears throat> so movies are just way shorter than books too, typically, right? So when you make a movie, you're not you're not making an experience that's meant to be, you know, to happen over six, seven hours. You're making ninety minute to two hour story, so you have to cut a lot of details, and it's but it's. Is you can't. It's not fair to think of it as like cutting it for cutting sake. Like we've said, there are different kinds of storytelling. You're really trying to hop from emotion to emotion. I think movies are really about telling you about the narrative, while a book really is sort of letting you exist more. It's a much more sort of intellectual experience for yourself and about your own mind getting into the mind of the characters. It allows you to like temporarily be, uh, see the story from a first-person perspective. Even a third-person book sort of allows you to to feel 
the whole story in a more sensory way, right? So I don't want to too much get into to like that the psychology between the difference of a storytelling in a book and a movie, but I just I want to make it clear that I don't think it's necessarily bad to cut details from a book to get a story down to movie length. And I don't think it necessarily makes a book better because it has more details. I think some of these changes are funny because they are in some ways so minor, right? There's there's not a lot of difference between having Pat's name be Pat Peoples and Pat Solitano. Now I see a little bit of a difference in having uh, Pat be from New Jersey or Pennsylvania. And I'll tell you why right now. Well, this has a little bit more to do with the story that's that's way more detailed in the book about Pat going crazy. Uh, well, here's another change too. In the book, Pat is in the institution. He's been he gets committed for almost four years, which in in the movie it is clear he has not been away that long. I think it's either eight to ten months he's been gone, but it's it's only about it's it's under a year. And if you watch it and don't pick up on the actual details, it even feels like less. It feels like he's been there for ninety days or something. But yeah. So in the book, it has him having been, and and that's one of the plot points of the book is that he sort of, he doesn't know what time it is. So the world has changed around him. And there's all these scenes in the book where he keeps saying stuff like, wait, how, where, where did this go? Where, what has happened to, to this? How, how old am I? Right? Like things physically have changed and. Uh, changed around him. Now, Pat doesn't even realize that uh, he used to go watch Eagles games at Veterans Field, and it actually got demolished while he was was in the institution. So when he comes out, he keeps talking in the book about, uh, like, oh, we should go to a game at Veterans Field. I want to see Veterans Field. And people keep telling him, no, uh, Lincoln Financial Field is where the Eagles play now. And so it's it's a really interesting element in the book because it ta- like the story is way more in his head about him trying to sort of piece together the life. It's almost like a science fiction film. Uh, it's it's not in a science fictiony way, but the plot is often reminiscent of like somebody that had amnesia or something, and they're trying to piece together where they are in life from history. One of the other things that's really interesting in the the book that's really not played like he's a, he's an Eagles fan in the film, and he's clearly wearing jerseys, but they make a big deal about him wearing a uh, Hank Baskets uh, Eagles jersey in the book. It's a gift for him and he wears it as, as opposed to just him not really specifying having any favorite players in in the uh, film version. Now, it's also that, that he's excited because he got a limited edition jersey with like the, the, the hand embroidered um, logos and all that stuff and it's from Hank Baskett's rookie year and I bel- let's see what I looked up. Yeah, Hank, uh, his first year playing for the Eagles was in 2006. Veterans Field was demolished in 2003. So, so Pat Peoples is there, like ready going into the rookie season 2006. So 
If he was in there for four years, he missed the demolition of the field. Let's see, 2006 minus four. He would have gone in about 2002, uh, a year before or, or two, depending on like what, what point he went in, but for the field to be demolished. So that's, that's one of those details that like, I think they didn't really have time and they didn't need to. There was plenty of other plot elements to sort of tell the story that they wanted in the movie, but it is an interesting little change that, that just, it was really good in the book. It wasn't necessary for the film given the amount of time they had. That's one of the choices that you make when you adapt the screenplay too, to be like, is there is there some other way that I want to tell this story? There's wonderful stuff in the book. Do I need to cut it? Okay, well, there's probably something better. I'm just glad they kept the Raisin Bran scene, which is actually uh, uh, very different in the book as well, but not that different. It's still great. So one of the next changes, I think... I'm going to make a guess on this one. It is a weird change because they could have just... Well, the book came out before the film. So I guess in in the book, uh, the, 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 uh, the song Songbird by Kenny G is the song that sort of sends, sends Pat into his, his breakdown, his sort of... It, it triggers his PTSD or, or his, his memories. It just makes him angry. In the movie, it's My Sharia Moore by Stevie Wonder. Now, I'm guessing that the reason they changed it, it was probably just for either licensing, uh, getting getting the, the right to play it or something, which I was thinking, you know, it could have been a monetary thing too, but it, it was a big budget film. I, it, if, I feel like it has to have been rights or something because... It would surprise me a lot to think that Songbird by Kenny G would cost more to play in a movie than my Sharia more. I now I'm saying that I could be totally wrong. That's just my guess. Like I think, like Steve, I, you know, they're both great musicians. Um, I just in my head making a random guess. I feel like Stevie Wonder is a more iconic, but then again. Uh, just you know, that would be just taking one of his songs, too, uh, wh- where maybe maybe it doesn't cost as much because he has written many uh, different songs or performed many different songs, and, whereas Songbird is sort of like the Kenny G jam, even though he's done a bunch of different albums too. But if you sort of like had one song that was the quintessential Kenny G song, so maybe he just invested way more in in having the royalties for songbird be way more expensive than my sharia more all speculation <laughs> i have no idea not super important either doesn't make any difference during the the movie or the book but it is a difference that gets changed so another another one and this is another actual plot one that i do think is significant and it's weird because i feel like it actually would have been easier to do this to, to add this element to the movie from the book, and they didn't. In the movie, so Pat's trying to get back with his ex-wife. That's the whole basic catalyst for the film, right? And at the end of the movie, Nikki comes to the ballroom dancing competition. She's there. They have a little 
I don't know, reconciliation is not the word, but they, um, Pat closes that chapter of his life. And that will get into the mystery that is sort of the mystery of this whole podcast going forward, too. I want to know, what is it that Pat whispers in Nikki's ear at at the uh, end of the ballroom dancing competition? But that... I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna stop on that right now because that's sort of the question that I am going to ask every guest and be investigating all the way through. Right now, we're just talking about the differences. You got it of the book and the the film. So in the book, Pat never sees Nikki again. He talks about seeing her. He keeps making plans. He writes letters. He thinks he's talking to her, but he never actually has another encounter. Uh, they get they get close, but basically Nikki is gone. It um, it's very interesting because I think it sort of makes him a little more sympathetic eventually in the book where where he needs to be. Because I'll tell you one of the interesting things as somebody who read the book and has watched the movie, I kind and I say I like them both and I like all the characters in them. Clearly, that's why these are my favorite things. But in the film version. I like Bradley Cooper's Pat Solitano a little bit better, and I don't like uh, Jennifer Lawrence's Tiffany as much. I'm not talking about her performance. I think she did a great job. I think she embodied a really great character. Uh, the character of Tiffany is not written in the film as as a sympath as as sympathetic a character as she is written in the book and I will get into why that is in just a second it is actually amazingly beautiful sad and tragic however in the book not only do I like Tiffany Maxwell way more than I like Pat uh, I don't like Pat as much Pat is a little uh, whinier he's meaner he, he there's I feel like there's less character redemption in Pat's book arc than there is in the film. There's there's a couple reasons for this, and one of them is I, I think that in the book there was not necessarily aimed to have the same level of of like this happy resolution that Hollywood films need. So I'll, I'll say actually that was probably more of the change in the film that the film needed to create the very comfortable uh, you know story circle three act structure uh, hero's journey. Um, to to create a a film story structure that that mass audiences are comfortable with, they go see it. They have the right feelings at the right times through the the film. Leave and say, "Oh, I feel like that was great." It was sort of Oscar bait movie, right? The books have a lot more freedom to sort of be what they want to be. I'm sure if if there's somebody who's a better writer or knows more about books. Well, no, there there definitely are rules, formulas, and strategies for for writing novels as well. But I, f- I feel like tone that there's way more tones available to a book. You can end in anywhere that is a spectrum far wider between Hollywood's requirement of it's a happy ending or it's a sad ending. It's it's one of those open ended. Oh, he doesn't get the girl right. 
both the novel and the film do in with them getting together, but the book ends with, I feel like, a very different characterization of the manifestation of their relationship. It it has a much more sort of conciliata- conciliatory, uh, con- conciliar, um, sort of accident. <laughs> Uh, can you, I, my, my vocabulary is not great. Part of, this is one of the only books I have ever read. So if I don't know that many words, they probably didn't use the word I'm looking for in it. Anyway, so, so like Pat doesn't ever get to see Nikki ever again. So there's this, it, it really is very strange to think, oh, She's not a care. He is just a crazy guy that is sort of like yelling into the wind trying to get his ex-wife back. And and it was never on the table for her to come back. Whereas in the film, it's it's not really played up as a huge plot point. But I think there is that feeling that, oh, there is the possibility that he could get back with Nikki at some point. Now, another element to this similar plot change is that uh, Pat realizes that Tiffany is faking the letters and he confronts her very angrily and aggressively prior to the end of of the story and she gets very I'm sorry who I was drinking a diet Dr. Pepper because it is late. Anyway. Unrelated. Okay. Bye, bye, bye. We're not sponsored by Dr. Pepper. <laughs> oh, but I would love to be. Uh, because nothing is, is refreshing as those 23 flavors in Diet Dr. Pepper that have all the great taste of regular Dr. Pepper, but none of the calories. <laughs> all right. Anyway, if anybody from Dr. Pepper ever... Listen to this. Nobody will. Nobody should listen to this. L- l- listen, I've I have uh, told several people that I make this podcast and always follow it up immediately with. I'm, I swear, you don't have to listen to it. It's not good. I'm really doing this for myself. I feel a little bit too like I'm doing one of those uh, late night relationship advice radio things. And I'm like, we have a caller, uh, Patrick Salatano from New Jersey, is calling in. Uh, there is a Tiffany who has been writing me love letters, but I don't believe that they are actually from her or they're from my ex-wife. What should I do about it? Uh, you know, Eagles fan Raisin brand. And I'd be like, well, you know, Pat. No. That was just my impression of like what I I feel like I'm doing. But no, let's get back. Because <laughs> I am actually I actually do feel a little more serious in my analysis and love for this thing than I'd, I was just making fun of. Uh, what was I talking about? Oh, yeah, that's right. So... So Pat confronts Tiffany about about the fact that she was writing the the letters and she she gets mean to, like she's really blackmailing him into participating in the the dance contest in the book right she really reinforces all these threats that go with the letters like hey you know legally you have a restraining order out on you you cannot be in contact with her you know i'm really breaking the law to facilitate this with you so you should do me a favor more than in the in the movie where she's just sort of like hey you know what uh it's a little quid pro quo thing i need you to do me this favor if i'm going to do this favor thing for you and 
So I think that's a much more significant difference between the the book and the the film. But uh, now, like I was saying, the the events are pretty similar in the book and the film. But I was I I really love Tiffany's character way more in the book, and it doesn't even happen until the very end because I think in some ways they're they're there's definitely a lot of more negative character traits for her because she's a lot more um, scheming and dishonest in the book, which could make her a less likable character, but yet her backstory is really way more detailed and just adds so much more depth to her character and the motivation. And it's so amazingly written that it completely wins you over and I think Matthew Quick the author did such a great job balancing those things too so he could make such just a darkly funny book it's I I should have talked about this earlier the genres of both of these things all right the the book according to Amazon uh for for the uh the category of book it was actually categorized as humorous uh humorous dark humorous book according to netflix the genre that it considers silver linings playbook is under genres it says movies based on books comedies dramas independent movies and it all and then in its uh cat qualification it says this movie is offbeat and emotional so so i think in different places, you can see these these films fall into different genres, the, the film and the book, but that largely uh, people consider them comedies, even though they're not super funny. That's one of the reasons that this is one of my favorite movies and consequently books, because it does work on so many levels. I mean, I think you could take out all the jokes. You'd have a pretty solid, dramatic story told. It would not be as entertaining to me. But you add those things back in, and I actually think it is insanely funny. It's a very funny film. We can talk about sort of the comedy aspect of it in a future episode, because right now we're just sort of talking about the adaptation uh, aspect to it. Now, I have to admit that I have not read that many books in my life, so I am not the best judge of how good a book is. I think one of the questions that I would like to discuss is, you know, is this an example of a book being better than a movie or a movie being better than a book? Spoiler alert, I think I'm probably going to come to the conclusion neither one is better than the other one. They're both fantastic for what they are. Maybe the book, maybe the movie was a little bit better uh, for, for a movie as a movie than the book was for a book, but I don't know. Let's get into it a little bit. Because let's look at some of the other books and film comparisons for context. But let, let me take you a little bit into my history with reading. One, I am not a smart guy. I am pretty lazy. That is why this is a podcast and not a blog. Two, I'm, I'm not really a reader, writer, that smart at all. All through little school, when I used to do assignments, I would get out of reading books. I think I only read and I'm not even exaggerating, maybe three books my entire career. I'm not saying I would do some of the reading from like assignments from textbooks or something, read, but I'm saying actually start to finish reading a book, I probably only read three. I think I read two books while I was in school, 
because they were sort of popular at the time, but they were not assigned books. So the books that I have read in my lifetime, one, (laughs) I've read The Great Gatsby. I read The Great Gatsby a lot. I always call it my favorite book, and I think it's a wonderful book. But it's also, like I said, one of the very few books that I have read too. So it's not hard to be one of your favorite books when you've only read a couple books. And considering that it's on all the uh, the lists of great American novels anyway, it's probably going to be pretty high up there. Also, most of the books I've read are very short too. So another book that I read and I really liked was uh, The Stranger by Albert Camus. Uh, I'm big into philosophy. I've, I've read through a lot of philosophy books and stuff and I like mythology and I like uh different like short stories um but I'm really you know I'm just talking about come on like layman's terms a novel like a 200 plus page fictional story I haven't read a lot of those uh one of the other books that is one of my favorites The Little Prince that's an even shorter story that's like a uh, a kid's book It's a little bit longer than a kid's book and like a little shorter than sort of young adult novels. I really like The Little Prince because I identify a lot with him because he's little and he rides comets around by catching them in a fishing net and wears scarves a lot. All stuff that I do. Also has a pet rose and is like, you're... Nobody can ever truly love you. Uh, you're you're beautiful, but you die too, or something. I don't know. Maybe I've never read. <laughs> I've totally read it. Okay, uh, the two books that I read just sort of for personal enjoyment as a kid was Jurassic Park. I read the Michael Crichton novel Jurassic Park before the the movie came out. Just all the sort of nerdy kids were reading it too, and I want and I liked dinosaurs, so I wanted to be up on that, and it was really exciting. I, you know what? If I was given more fun books to read as a kid, I might have read them, but I wasn't given books that I thought were fun, so I just didn't. And then the other one, I believe I read this in. Oh, this is gonna this is gonna date me too, but uh, I probably like eighth grade. Or something. I read the novelization of the film Face Off. That's right, the John Travolta Nicolas Cage movie. It might have been a book before that too. It, but I read, I read the the novel version that had the cover of the movie poster on it. So it was at least it was printed after the movie came out. And I hadn't seen the movie. I just I found it in a locker or something at school. And I just thought it was funny, so I read, I read it, and it actually turned out being a really short, easy read. So that, so I, I need to sit down and do the actual math. I probably read a couple other books here or there, but honestly, if if I've only read ten percent, if I've only read ten books in my whole life, which is not an unreasonable estimate, that would make Face Off. 10% of all the books I've ever read in my life. <laughs> I'm 100% serious on that too. So that would be sad. There should be no laughing at that. That's why I buried this halfway into my podcast so that there's just no way that anybody will ever know that or how stupid I am. <laughs> and you know what? 
the novel of Face Off way better than the movie, too. <laughs> Part of the joke that I used to do about about people saying the jokes the the uh, books were better than movies was I would I would do the example of they're they're two different mediums and try to sort of explain that in my premise a little bit. But then I'd I always like one of my favorite joke formulas is sort of putting current contemporary situations in historical context and be like, do you think, do you think that, uh, back in medieval ages, people were ever like, yeah, it's a pretty good play, but the scroll was better. And then I'd just keep going further and further back and be like, do you think, I don't know. Do you think in Greece people were like, mm, that, the scroll is good, but like you really, mm, you should have, you should have heard the story straight from the mouth of the Oracle on Mount Olympus. Like you just, it's, so much better it gets into more detail and then you go back even further and and you have cave people and they're like well you know what the, the cave painting was pretty good it got narrated but like have you ever have you ever seen the stars right like this the the constellations that's really the origin and then then i go all the way back to guys if you think if you think storytelling is pretty good have have you ever tried uh, deconstructing dinonucleic acid DNA, right? Because that's sort of the story of life. That, if you break that apart, that is fundamentally what creates the narrative of existence. And then I, you know, I would just do a silly little pattern of, of DNA sounds. G-A-T-A-C-A, I think is what I would do. Um, and then I'd be like, oh, and by the way, that spells Gattaca, uh, which ironically was a book. It was better than the movie. I don't know if it was actually a book, and I don't know if that was a joke, and it was also a joke that I never really performed that often on stage. So I thought podcasts where nobody's already listening is the perfect place to run that material that didn't work the first time. Also, I'm going to stop apologizing into this microphone about uh, how nobody's listening. You either are or you aren't. It doesn't matter. If you are, I love you so much. So let's talk about books that are better than movies and movies that were better than the books too because I think there's a stereotype that that doesn't happen. I think like we've been saying this whole time, people make an assumption that the book is better than the movie, but in fact... There are some, and, and we're going off of what's going to be a little bit biased of a metric, but that there might be some empirical ways to see if a book is better than the movie or if the movie is better than book. Because of the internet, a lot of networks exist. So there's things like IMDB, Good Books uh, website or something. Good, what is it? Uh, goodreads.com. Uh, you can go to Amazon and the reviews. There's a lot of different review sites for both literature and film. And they'll and a lot of them will compile different ratings from different sites too. And you sort of can get this aggregate score where it'll give you an average value for what a whole bunch of different reviewers and audience members like. Like I know a lot of people sort of like uh, the, the Rotten Tomato uh, uh, version of, of reviews will sort of show what what an audience thought of something or the, the Metacritic review. Oh, excuse me, Dr. Pepper coming back again, right? So 
I thought it was interesting, and and you can actually find. I did a Google search, so this is not an original thought. Um, one of these is uh, this first one is a BuzzFeed list, right? But it, and in the BuzzFeed one was based on a Reddit list of films that people thought were better than the books they were based on. And once you hear this list, I think part of that uh, might be true. Most and and I think the best way to think of it is that these films were just better. Uh, films as a film than the book was as a book maybe the book was really great too and maybe if you had a different system of scoring the book might have been uh, gotten more points than the film but there's a lot more books that exist too so there's more competition so I think one of the ways you have to grade it is how did this item score in uh, you know just in the context of what you would grade that thing as that might not make sense hopefully it will in just a second when I Here's the list of films that people generally think are better than the books they were based on. I'm just going to do the top seven because there's a lot. Jaws, Jojo Rabbit, The Notebook, Shawshank Redemption, The Godfather, Big Fish, Arrival. Okay, so that's... I, and if you look at that list, that is a list of great films. And you really don't hear people talking about those books. And either I didn't know Jaws was based on a book, either. Um, I think uh, the Notebook I knew, but it's also like one of those Nicholas Sparks books where it's, where it's like I think uh, it's sort of like a Tom Clancy novel or like a Clive Cussler, uh child, one of those guys, right? You know, where where they just like keep putting out novels in these series i don't know if it's part of a series but you sort of i'd rate them collectively right but i think the notebook has been a very iconic romance film of our time or i mean i'm i'm guessing it's a romance film to be fair i have not seen it so it there's the chance it could be a science fiction film i don't know (laughs) but uh anyway it's better than the book according to a lot of people so here's a list of books that actually were better than the movies they were based on. And I think there's something very interesting about these. That a lot of them are sort of like young adult or kids novels, too. And I think part of that might be due to the fact that they're, they're fantasy, too. And I think fantasy just has a harder time living up to, to expectations when you change it from a book to a film. Some of them work, but... Some of them don't either because it's, you can just create anything so seamlessly in a book. But then also when you're writing a book for kids, it's going to be paced differently. I'll tell you, I I don't want to say like I'm like an auntie or a fan of Harry Potter and stuff. It's one of those things. I didn't read the books. I did watch a bunch of the movies um, when they came out. I used to take my sister to go see the, the Harry Potter films for like the first four films when they came out. So I ended up seeing them. One of the things I noticed about him, because everybody else in my family is a is a Harry Potter fan, uh, because because it was based on books that that are written in short little chapters, it's going to make a just a little bit of a different pacing for a film if you try to just sort of translate it chronologically in order of events that happen. This is also a thing that happened with the film Little Women in previous iterations too in fact i think one by the way 2019's greta greta gerwig's um little women one of the best films i have seen in a really long time 
not familiar with the book, but from everything I understand from the book, because I've had conversations with some other people about this, I just, I just heard myself saying conversations. I just realized <laughs> that's not going to mean anything to any of y'all, but it, all right. Anyway, Little Women, uh, Greta Gerwig did an amazing job writing this latest iteration of the film which has been done several times and portrayed different media uh different times and part of the reason was she played with the timeline there's flashbacks flash forwards to really create a narrative that hits a lot of the chapter points from the book but it's really not trying to constrain itself to that book timeline which is not bad but because books are not the same as films. So over a two-hour period, the pacing just doesn't keep an audience as engaged if you're going to take a novel and change it directly into a movie. You really have to adapt the screenplay. And I think that's why it gets its whole own category at the Academy Awards, because that's really an art in and of itself. Is it easier? Is it harder? I think some people might think it's easier at first, and then you realize there's way more rules. You're doing a lot more shuffling and adjusting. So you know what? They're, both of them are hard, and you got to respect all of it as art is art. But sitting down sometimes at a blank piece of paper or taking somebody else's paper and adjusting that and making it good, which one do you think is easier? Neither of them. They're both difficult and wonderful in their own way. Anyway, books that were better than the movies. Ella Enchanted. By Gail Carson Levine. The Giver by Lois Lowry. The Scarlet Letter by Nathaniel Hawthorne. The Glass Castle by Jeanette Walls. The Golden Compass by Philip Pullman. The Lovely Bones by Alice Siebold. The Girl on the Train by Paula Hawkins. And I did not do the authors for any of the other ones, but uh, I think it's. But these are actually. More important because I think these are more iconic as books. I think if I had actually gone down the list of authors with the films that were better than books, half of them I wouldn't have even recognized because I'd never thought of them as books. I know The Notebooks, Nicholas Sparks, and The Godfather's Mario Puzo, but other than that, I only know them as films. These ones, I don't actually know any of these authors, but I am very familiar with half of them as books. Like I said, a lot of them are young adult books, and they're... Um, really good. I mean, people love them as they are. So, which is better? Silver Linings Playbook, the movie, or the book? Well, one of the things I didn't even get to discuss that I forgot about was I was going to talk about how, uh, it's interesting. I would love to hear too, okay, here's, here's two requests. I would love to hear what you guys think about, um, Sorry, can you tell I'm new to podcasting? This is only my second time. So, but I would love to hear from you guys about uh, books that you think are better than movies, uh, you know, that really like significantly are. But I would be really interested to hear about films that you think are better than the books they were based on too. Because I think, I think that's just such a stereotype. But I think if we actually start thinking about it and breaking down, a lot of movies might be better than the books they're based on too. This list was a perfect example, too. But anyway, I think we were talking about what is better, the film or the movie. 
it's different. And I would love to know if men and women have a difference. I've talked to, to two different women about their feelings on the book versus the movie. And we didn't go too in-depth in it, but I think it's interesting that I know more women that have read Silver, The Silver Linings Playbook than I know men. I probably know more women that have read books than men. Also, I don't hang out with the smartest people. Sorry, all the people I hang out to. <laughs> well, it's okay. They won't listen to this anyway either. Oh, man. I'm, if I had friends, I'm trying to lose them all right now. But I guess I'm trying to make friends with this microphone. So, uh, like I was saying... Pat's character is way more likable in the film than he is in the book, which is so interesting because he's the protagonist and he's even like you're even more inside his head in the book. Tiffany is just an amazing, amazing character in the book. I want to go over the background of her character Uh, in it's even in the Raisin Bran scene, actually. Um, Tiffany has recently lost his job. For those of you that uh, haven't seen this, or if you haven't seen it, there's no way you would have listened to now going on an hour and 50 minutes of me talking about Silver Linings Playbook over the last two podcasts. Um, but so both of the main characters, Pat and Tiffany, have these really tragic backgrounds where they're sort of clinging to these these spouses that aren't really in their lives, right? Uh Pat's Pat's wife left him and Tiffany's husband is dead. And part of that is not really explained in the movie. Like they just they come up with a quick story about him and and it's blown off. And then it's this is an unrelated element that happens in the Raisin Bran story in the movie version, right? So you find out that that Tiffany sort of becomes a sex addict and was sleeping with too many of the people in the office and she gets fired and she develops this reputation and then that's sort of her character. Uh, Now, I am not saying any of that makes her character unsympathetic. In in fact, like I think it's a pretty... uh, She really develops that aspect of the character well because it creates the exact question that I'm wondering where she offers to sleep with Pat off after their first, and it's not even a date. Like they just met at the dinner party. Uh, but like, like these two girls that have read the book and seen the movie, it talked to me about it. We're talking about, cause my question is, when does, when does Tiffany fall in love with Pat? I always thought it was just at the beginning. The first time I watched it through as a stupid boy. And then after thinking about it and talking to other people, I realized she really just wants a friend. In fact, in the book, it even talks about some different scenarios about like, oh, maybe because uh, the, the therapist tells Pat this in the book. He's like, maybe Tiffany was just acting out uh, sexually because she needs a friend, but she was offering the only thing that she thought that she had to give to earn to make somebody like her. Now, it still sounds a little like sort of like basic male psychology writing fantasy scenario, right? So let's get into the actual book book part of Tiffany. In at the endish part of the novel, you find out that she sort of developed this acting out because she was in a marriage with her husband, who was a police officer, and sort of just like, you know, I don't, I don't know, I haven't been married, but they sort of like talks about how stuff just started to fizzle, like they weren't falling out of love with each other, but she just wasn't sleeping with him as much uh, because they were, you know their relationship was drawing on and her husband was getting sort of 
disappointed by that. So he, you know, he thought that he was going to like try to spice up their relationship. He goes to, um, to a lingerie store and he buys his, his wife something sexy that he's going to bring, bring back to her. And then on the way home, he sees a woman in a broken down car and he stops to help her. And he is then hit by another car and killed. Um, and so what Tiffany pulls from that is sort of this guilt of, oh, if I had been sleeping with my husband, he never would have been trying to fix our relationship in that way. And then she starts acting out with all the other men in her life to sort of, uh, to, to sort of uh, assuage that guilt that she's feeling. And while I don't know the actual scientific psychology behind it, just as somebody that's trying to understand the writing and saying that, it's it feels so amazingly valid and real. It, there might be a part of it that is such a stretch, but like just the the fact that the author has given us sort of the very extent of what this this fantastically fictional scenario could be that still feels like it could be very real feels like it could be scientifically valid and that is why it is such beautiful writing and when you get that realization about the character you just go oh man i feel so bad for her but it's it's not even like a pity it's just you understand it's just a beautiful revelation about a character and that's what both of these film and the book are really about too it's you take these flawed characters and you really sort of explore who they are and why they are the way they are and as they learn that about each other i guess they fall in love because they they're flawed people it's one of the reasons that i think this film and book resonates so strongly with me because I feel like I have a lot of problems and sometimes they're related. It's not a direct like one-to-one relation because I don't have their problems. But I think a lot of people that have mental problems often feel the same insecurities of like, oh, I can't be loved by other people. I have these issues that make it very hard to relate to people. I'm going to be judged by other people. And I, this book and film are, I think, very gentle and fair descriptions, uh, maybe a little bit of, uh, fantastical, but of sort of like how people with some of those afflictions overcome them and get to live normal lives. It's, it's like a mental health fairy tale, really. So I think that... Given all of this, the movie is way better. And that is based on several things. One, it's shorter. Two, I saw it first. Three, this podcast, the Silver Linings Playcast, is based on the film. So the book is supplementary information in the world of this podcast. The film came first, even though in actual real life, it is a film based on a book. So that is my thoughts on that. Uh, I, If you guys 
have any thought. I would love to talk to anybody that has read the novel and seen the movie too. I've had a couple brief conversations about that, but I would love to really get into it with somebody that that uh, knows maybe more differences too, because it's been a little while since I've read the book and it's been uh, not quite as long since I've seen the movie. I usually watch the movie twice a day, not every single day. I've watched it twice. I, I watched Goodfellas. No, not Goodfellas. Basically. I didn't even remember my own joke. But uh, yeah, no, I'm excited that the, I think I'm going to have a guest on the next episode. And we're going to be talking about uh, the different awards that the film went through. Because there's a lot of story, um, different different aspects about like what this was nominated for, what it got, and the whole award system too. I am a super fan of Silver Linings Playbook, and I thank you guys for listening. I definitely want you to think about uh, some of the big questions that we're going to have going forward when I have the new guests. When does does Tiffany fall in love with Pat? When does Pat fall in love with Tiffany? The thing I would really like to get on this, this podcast, if there is a couple out there, if there are two of y'all that are in love and I would love y'all to be different genders. I would love to have a man and a woman uh, couple because I want to know if you have differences of opinions. I want to know if men see a different point or, or women see a different point or just if just people see it at a different point in the story and, and gender is not important in that. Uh, but it because a lot of the guys that I have talked to about the movie are just sort of like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tiff, Tiffany's in love with him. She's like flirting with him since the beginning. And then a lot of the women are like, no, she really just needed a friend up front and and falls in love with him after after sort of seeing him. There's several theories I have about different places, but I will discuss those in a future episode because we have, we have made it through about our time. Uh, we also, I will have my different theories about what gets whispered in, in Nikki's ear. I'm pretty sure that that uh, Bradley Cooper leans in and he he tells her, I'm Force-sensitive. <laughs> no, he probably didn't. Um, so last time I tried to have uh, Down the Road as my sign-off little thing, but that I don't think that is as appropriate. Uh, what we should do is, guys, keep on, keep on reaching for the stars, trying doing everything you can to make stuff happen go boldly where you've never gone before heroes in a half shell and excelsior